So as we've talked about salvation, beginning salvation, continuing salvation, and continuing salvation, we're continuing in Hebrews. You can turn to chapter 9, that's where we'll be today. But Hebrews is all about Jesus. And specifically, we've been considering Him as our great High Priest. Who He is and what He's done as our High Priest is superior. Okay, Jesus is superior. What Jesus has done is superior. Uh, there's no comparison to Him. But because He's superior... And because his service to us is superior, then we learned last week we're in this superior situation, this better situation in how we relate to God and how we connect to God. So I want to show you this slide. It begins with who Jesus is. He's this superior high priest. And Jesus came and he served, right? And through his superior service, then we have this superior situation. It begins with who Jesus is, it, it continues with what Jesus does, and it results in this superior situation that we have now with Jesus. How we connect to God, how we relate to God because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Last week we got to this superior situation. We looked at this passage that was a quote of the new covenant, this new situation that we have. It was from Jeremiah. And we learned that it was this promise that was being made to us. I wore my suit last time. I got on my knees. You stood up. I got down and I promised, as Jesus has promised, what He will do. He said, I will put my words in your mind. I'll write my words to you in your heart. Not on the outside, but on the inside. He's saying, I promise you this internal connection. He promises, he says, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. I promise you an intimate relationship. And he says, I will forgive you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, I promise you. And it was, I promise all of you, everyone, that no one is left out, no one is excluded from that. I promise all of you this opportunity to know me because I've dealt with all of your sins. And we can have this experience. We can connect and relate to God this way. Not because of who we are, not because of what we've done, but because of who Jesus is, because of what He's done. He's the superior high priest and the superior service. We're not a part of that equation. It's not who we are, it's not what we did. It's all about Him. We're considering his superiority. But for us to understand this situation that we have, that we talked about last week, the author goes back and he begins to talk about this superior service. Okay, it was touched on in chapter 8, but now he's going to start to go into detail okay, about this superior service, what Jesus did. 
It's not focusing right now on the situation we're in, but how we got to that situation. So we're going from the third piece back to the second piece. Does that make sense? That's where we're at today. I want you to understand that as we move forward. But how are we supposed to understand the superiority of His ministry? What's the best way to do that? How do we figure out when something is superior? If one thing is superior, it has to be superior, more superior than something else, right? It's over and beyond, greater than something else. It requires this comparison that we would actually look at two different things or multiple things and see which is superior. And so that's what the author of Hebrews begins to do. Begins to compare the service of Jesus. If you look back to chapter 8, verse 6, it says, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is superior to theirs. Talking about these earthly priests. Okay, Jesus, as priest, his ministry, his service is superior to theirs. He's comparing Jesus to these earthly priests. We did that with the covenants, with our situations. We compared our new situation to the old situation so we could appreciate this new situation and see that it's superior. We have to understand the old to appreciate the new. We have to understand that the God is holy and perfect so that it even means anything that He loves us. And so we are going to look at the superiority of His service as our great high priest in the new covenant, in this new situation, by comparing it today with the earthly priest in the old covenant in this old situation. First we're going to start and we're going to actually consider the old priest, the earthly priest, the earthly tabernacle, the earthly sanctuary. We're going to consider that, consider their service, and then we're going to compare it to Jesus' service. And after we look at their service and we compare it to Jesus' service, we're going to see in the end how that connects to our service. So that's the steps we're going to take today. That's what we're going to look at in verse 1 through 14 of chapter 9. This comparison begins in verse 1. Talking about this earthly sanctuary versus the heavenly sanctuary. So we're going to start with the earthly sanctuary. Verse 1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. So this earthly sanctuary, okay, as we read that, this is the place of God's presence on earth amongst His people in that time. Okay, God came and He would dwell in this place, this earthly tabernacle. It was, in a sense, it was His house on earth, His, his living room or His living space on earth amongst His people. And the priests would go into His house. They would enter into His house. They would enter into God's presence to represent us to God, to represent the people to God. 
That's what was occurring in the sanctuary. This was God's house. This was his living space. This is where he was present. The priest would go in on behalf of the people who were on the outside and represent the people to God. And so it continues with the explanation, this description of the sanctuary, of the tabernacle. Verse 2 through 5. A tabernacle was set up in its first room with a lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. So as we read that, what, what do we learn about God as we, we go into His living space and, and it's described, it's described what's there, it's described, the setup is described of God's house, of His living space, of where He's present. What do we learn about Him there? There are all these things. In this earthly sanctuary, all these material items, these things that you could actually touch and feel. They, there was, you could go in and you could see them. Those items were connected to God's relationship with His people. Everything that was there had something to do with how God had related to His people, to Israel. How He had been with them, how He had walked with them, what they had gone through together. And if you think about it, if you, any of those, uh, you guys have walked into my apartment, you open the door, as soon as you walk in, there, there are frames with pictures on the left. It's not my kids. It's waterfalls. And so if you've seen that, you're like, well, what are these? And I want to show you, if we get a picture back up. Does anyone know what this is and where it is. Yosemite? Wrong. You California-centric people. What's that? Chile, no. Angel Falls. Or more appropriately, Sato Angel. Okay? This, and where is that, Nima? Venezuela. Okay? This is Sato Angel in Venezuela. Now, when you walk into my house, there are multiple pictures of Sato Angel in Venezuela. And when I look at that, or when you look at that, like, wait, wait, how, how did you get that picture on your wall? And that's where, because of someone's generosity, my wife and I went on our honeymoon 18 years ago. And I can look at those pictures every time that I come in and I come out of my house and I see that and I can remember that time with my wife. And when we were one day, two days married, when my hair was very dark. And, and I remember that time and, and I can talk to her and say, do you remember? And, and do you remember how we got there? And do you remember what it was like? And do you remember where we slept and, and, and what happened? And, and how when we saw the waterfall for the first time, what that felt like? Do you remember what you said to me and what I said to you? And, and do you remember how we felt being there together? All that from looking at this picture. And those are just the pictures that we have up. 
I have this album that's inside, not on the in my doorway, but as you go into our apartment, you go into our bedroom, there's a, a big chest at the bottom of our bed, and we have photo album after photo album, before pictures were all digital, because we've been married for 18 years, that sit in this chest. And you open that up, and every once in a while we come in and we look at these, and we remember all these situations. And if you guys want to see me dark-headed, you can look at these pictures. It's the same way for the priests. Right? Can you imagine going in there as a priest and seeing these items and remembering and saying, look at the ark. That's the ark, God, that we brought. Remember when you spoke to us and, and we wrote, your, and your word was written down on these stone tablets and those stone tablets are inside there. And do you remember how you brought us through the desert and the manna that's in there that you gave us from the sky? You provided for us and I remember how that felt. I remember how you provided and then we carried it into the promised land. You promised us that. You were with us. You brought us there. Do, do you remember those things? Because in God's house, it reflects, this is my family. This is what we've been through. This is how I've related with you. And there's a desire in me to go through my Venezuela trip, our Venezuela trip. And then tell you story after story. And then I see that picture and I remember this and another story. As we talk about the ark or the, the law on the stone tablets or the Aaron's, Aaron's staff. or the, It makes you think of other things that God has done. And we could sit here and we could reminisce and we could talk about everything that's happened in the past. And that would be good. And I want to do that. But then the author here says, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. It's good to remember. Right? We have this relationship. They, they had this relationship with God. But we can't live in the past. We have a relationship now. They had a relationship with God then, right? Nita and I are 18 years in. We're going to continue on. But how is our relationship going to be now? And are we going to continue on and make new memories? Are, we going to, are you going to be with us as we continue to the very finish? And we'll have new keepsakes, new pictures, new memories with God. So how do we continue? In the present. For the priests, they would enter in and out, in and out of the sanctuary of God's house. Remember, we're considering them then, their service. And in this earthly sanctuary, their service was very formal. I want you to notice the setup, the design as it described it. There was this outer room and then there's an inner room. As you come in, there's a holy place. You have to come through from the outside in into the holy place. But then after the holy place, there's a curtain that divides the inside of God's house, the inside of the sanctuary, into the most holy place. For me, being from the south, it's like any house that I've ever, I can think about going in. In Georgia, you walk into the foyer <laughs> or the foyer, right? Where you walk into the door and then what do you see? You see the formal dining room and living room. 
Okay? Because that's where you entertain guests that come into your house. They don't belong there, right? But they're visiting there. They're there temporarily. And you want to present, you have this dining room and this living room where you're going to sit, you're going to talk, you're going to enjoy this meal together. That defines your relationship. These rooms. But behind those rooms, in every house that I can think of, is the kitchen. And usually attached to the kitchen is the family room. And if you go further back into the house, there's the bedrooms. Okay, It becomes more and more personal, more and more intimate as you go further and deeper into the house. Right? In the family room, that's where the family hangs out. We're in the kitchen, we're eating and hanging out there. We're on the sofa, we're talking together. But when someone visits, we go to the front, we would entertain in the living room and the dining room. In many ways, it's the same here in God's house. The service that occurred continually occurred in this outer place, this, this holy place, this outer room. There were specific rooms for specific purposes. And he continues to describe it in verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So the priests would serve in the outer room, in the holy place. But once a year, only the high priest would go into the inner room, the most holy place. And the regulations for their service was extremely exclusive and it tremendously limited their access to God. Right? You could see these things. They had this relationship with God, but, but, but it was exclusive. And the access was extremely limited. If you think about it, I want to put this in perspective, right? These priests are representing Israel. They are one of 12 tribes. Everyone else, 11 of the 12 tribes, are outside. Okay? They can't come into the outer room. They can't come into the holy place. They're kept out. And only 1 out of 12 can go to this outer room. That's exclusive. And then, of those that can come into the outer room, then only one of those priests, one out of every 365 days, could go into the inner room. Ultra-exclusive. No access to God. I want us to understand that. Only one tribe out of 12, and out of that tribe, only one person, and that one person, only one out of 365 days. And that high priest had to enter with blood. This blood represented his life. It was to cover himself, his own sins, and then it says also the sins of the people that they had committed that they didn't even know that they had committed. Okay? On the, on the outside, this service is continually happened to deal with and take care of sin after sin after sin that's visible and they can see. And then once a year, 
This great high priest has to take care of his own sins to enter the presence of God. And then has to take care of all the sins of all the people that they didn't even know that they committed. Okay, we've got to cover all the bases here and deal with all the sin, visible and invisible, external and internal, to come into the presence of God, to enter this most holy place. The service in the outer room was non-stop. It says they're regular. In the NIV, uh, the word would be better interpreted continually. Non-stop. Serving, serving, serving. Covering sin, covering sin, covering sin. It was non-stop. It was without end. And in the service of the great, uh, the service of the high priest, it was every year, year after year after year after year after year for 1,600 plus year after year after year after year. So it would have to be done. Whatever the priest did, whatever the high priest did, it only temporarily covered sin. It didn't deal fully with the sin. It just covered the sin up. It just put off this payment that was required for this debt that the people had until the next year, until the next time. And if you think about all this activity that was happening outside and once a year inside, it was intricate, it was detailed, it was bloody, it was this laborious process that was unending sin management. They just managed and managed and managed and managed their sin. The sin of the people, the sin of themselves. This debt they could not repay. The car breaks, you fall behind. You take your paycheck to pay loans. You get a high interest loan. You can't pay it back. But to pay it back, then you don't pay the water bill. But then the next month, you can't pay the cable bill because you've got to pay the water bill and catch back up. And then to pay that, you've got to pay the electricity. And month after month after month after month, you just move. I'm going to pay this and not pay that. I'm going to pay this and then not pay that. And you just struggle through and you can't get rid of this debt and it just won't go away. And you can pay and pay and pay and pay. And you would never be in the place where you could get out. The interest is collecting too fast. You can't meet the debt. But you just continue to manage and manage and manage and try and keep everyone happy and manage and manage and manage. And that's the way that you live your life. And I'm just trying to make it to the next month and I'll not pay this person the next month. I'll not pay this place and hopefully everybody will be okay and I'll just manage and manage and manage my situation. That's what they were doing with sin. Verse 8. The Holy Spirit was showing by this. Okay, we saw the, the setup of the tabernacle. We saw what was occurring in the tabernacle with the priests. And verse 8 says, The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle, this outside, was still functioning. As long as the sin management was occurring, there was absolutely no way for the people to connect and relate to God differently. Their entire relationship was based on managing the sin. That's what the priest did. It was done continually. It had to be done repeatedly. 
There was not an opportunity to connect or to relate to God differently. And remember the people. 11 out of 12, they were outside. They were removed from relationship to God. And the priest and even the high priest, their relationship was just functional. They just had to take care of business to continue the relationship. They just had to manage the situation so that they weren't removed from the relationship. It was completely functional. There was no intimacy. Verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. So this sanctuary, this continual service by the earthly priests, it was an illustration for over 1,600 years to make crystal clear to the people that the connection and the relationship with God under this old covenant, the regulations of the law, they could only, only, only ever deal with their sin on the surface, externally. 1,600 plus years this continued for them to see again and again and again, to continue and continue and continue, to manage and manage and manage, to only deal with the surface, to only deal with what's external. They can never deal with the heart of the issue. They could offer and offer and offer gifts. They can make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. They would only temporarily delay the issue of sin. No matter how long they continue, it says it would not clear their conscience. They would not reserve, or it would not um, resolve our, our, our internal, our, our intimacy, our, this inclusive, this sin that's inside of us, right? We're washing the outside again and again and again, but I know inside I have this issue. We're, we're dealing with and dealing with and managing the outside and what we look like and what we do and how we respond and all of my actions, but yet I know inside my heart is evil. I know inside I have this issue. And there had to be, says, this new order, this reformation, this reorganizing, this putting everything else in a new order, realigning how things were. Because if that didn't happen, again, it was just going to continue. Sin management, covering the outside, it would never get to the heart of the issue. There had to be a major adjustment. Now I spent all that time reviewing their service, the earthly priests, because we're unfamiliar with it. We're so far removed from that, right? Uh, for us to compare that to Jesus, well, we have to understand them to compare it to Jesus. We have to understand their service to compare it to Jesus. And in our culture, in our context, we're just not familiar with that. Este culto del tabernáculo terrenal. 
And at the beginning of verse 9, as I said, the author says, this is an illustration. The word there is literally a parable. Okay? As Jesus taught in parables and shared a parable, right? this is the same word. Okay? And he's saying, a parable is when you compare two things side by side. So you can understand one thing. right? I'm going to have object A and object B, and I'm going to put them side by side so I can see what's alike and I can see what's different. And Jesus did that to explain with these earthly things, He would explain heavenly things, right? He would put them side by side so we could better understand these heavenly things that we cannot see. And that's what is being done here in Hebrews is this comparison, this side by side. So we have to look at then and the earthly priests so that we can understand now our situation and compare it to Jesus. Verse 11. But, 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 but. Everybody say but. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. Jesus came into our situation. He entered our sinful humanity to serve us as our great high priest. He didn't enter to serve in this earthly sanctuary that we read about. Right? In chapter 8 it says, if Jesus, he wouldn't be a priest. There's already priests doing that. Okay? Jesus didn't come to serve in the earthly sanctuary that's just a copy, that's just a shadow, that's just an outline of the heavenly reality with the majesty on high. Jesus isn't serving here. He's serving in heaven, in this heavenly sanctuary. He went into the holy of holies in heaven, into this inner room in heaven to represent us before God. His service is superior. Verse 12. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once for all by His own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. So just like the earthly priests, to go into this inner room, Jesus had to bring offerings and sacrifices to enter, to go into that most intimate place where the presence of God was, the reality of this holy of holy in heavens. He had to bring offerings and sacrifices, but He offered and sacrificed Himself. It was not the blood or this life of involuntary animals, but His blood. His own blood given voluntarily. And He didn't enter continually. It wasn't repeatedly having to go back to do this again and again and again and again as it had been done for all of those years. Jesus gave His life once for all. He gave His life and He purchased our life. Not temporarily, but eternally. Eternally, forever and ever, 
what had been going on and on and on and on and on and on. Jesus put an end to that and He purchased us. He rescued us from our debt to sin. That's how He served in the heavenly sanctuary. Okay, Compare that to what happened in the earthly sanctuary. Okay? His sacrifice is superior. Jesus' his service is superior. Jesus is superior. Those things on earth were just shadows, just outlines, just copies. Jesus is so much more. We've got to believe that. Keep comparing. It's meant to be compared. The author goes on comparing, verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are, un- or who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciousness, our conscience from acts that lead to death. This is for us. This is for you. To understand the service that is occurring. The earthly priest could only cover temporarily. It says, how much more than how much superior is the service and sacrifice of Jesus? Not the high priest, but Jesus, our high priest. He cleanses us on the inside. Not just the external, not just the outside, but on the inside. It says in our conscience. Okay? What's most internal to us, what's deep inside, the heart of us, He cleanses. And I think this is difficult for us to understand. And you've heard this, and you've heard this in church, and what can wash away the blood? I mean, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And we might even, we go through that and sing that, and we wouldn't even think deeply about that. We don't quite get it. And so I hope to show you an illustration. If you bear with me. So this first container, this first jar represents Jesus. This next one represents sin. And the third jar, as I pour this, it represents us. This represents you. That's not supposed to happen. There's a bug in there. (laughs) It's actually pretty appropriate. (laughs) Because the point is... Jesus. Pure, clean, refreshing. Okay? I could probably get anybody in here to drink this. Would anyone drink this? This one that's can't see through. It's a nasty color of brownish red. Represents our sin. Anyone drink it? Probably not. 
But this one represents us. It looks pretty clean. It looks pretty pure. I mean, I can't tell the difference between it and Jesus. And it's been washed on the outside, right? It's been kept clean continually. We've been working our whole lives through our own works and what we can do and what we didn't do so that we look like this. And we tip it back and we enjoy it just like we enjoy Jesus. We, yeah, I want Jesus, but cheers to me too. But I want to show you when I put Jesus next to us and we turn off the lights you see the difference? When I turn on the black light Jesus is still clear. He's pure throughout. But look at us. There's all this contaminants. It, it glows in the dark when you put the light on. On the inside, it's, it's filthy. On the inside, nothing's been done. Nothing has been cleansed. Okay? Turn the lights back on. That's the reality. We feel like this sometimes. We look like this sometimes. But when we are real with ourselves, we know we're full of sin on the inside I know I'm dirty and if somebody saw the inside they, they would not like what they see they, they would not uh, be refreshed by this they wouldn't participate with this and drink this right? but what happens this is our reality whether you can see it or not Jesus comes And He makes us clean. He makes us pure. And what happens is if we come to Jesus, let me make an adjustment. As we come to Jesus, He continues to deal with our sin. I'm supposed to have that empty. Right? The sin of the world. Everything. All of all sin. Every drop Jesus can handle. And you guys, it just looks clean. Let me turn off the lights again. There's no glow. He took care of us. Not just the outside. He didn't just cover our sin, but completely purified us, completely cleansed us. Our conscience, our inside, our hearts. His blood did that. His blood took care of that. Hopefully that's helpful. That's not just cool. That's the reality of Jesus' service for us. What's your response? And not just what's your response to start salvation, to begin salvation. What's your response as you continue salvation? Right? We've been talking about this through Hebrews, continuing on, continuing on. Don't stop. Continue to the finish. And as we continue salvation, do we live like this? Do we live in that reality? Or do we continue just to try and take care of the outside and neglect the inside and never draw near to Jesus, never stay with Jesus as He continues to cleanse us and continues to purify us? He did it once for all time, for all people. 
people. But do we draw near to Him to experience that? Do we experience this relationship, this connection that He has provided for us? Does our life look and feel like this? Is your conscience clean? Is it pure? Because it can be. As we continue through salvation. Because Jesus, that's His ministry to us. That's His service for us. He went into the heavenly sanctuary to represent us. To take care of completely our sin. But why? Look at the very end of verse 14. Their service, the earthly priest, compared to Jesus' service, but then we see how this connects to our service. All of that so that we may serve the living God. He served us, brought us into this new situation where we can connect with Him and relate to Him so that we can be pure and clean. And, oh, that's great, I'm pure and clean. That's part of it. But it says all of that so that you can be pure and cleansed, your conscious, so that you can serve the living God. So that you can worship the living God. So that you can come into the Holy of Holies. Jesus says, I came for you and I'm bringing you to glory. I'm bringing you to the Holy of Holies. We're going to continue by faith through this salvation to the finish. You have the opportunity to go in the Holy of Holies. To sit there with Jesus in the majesty on high. That's the reality. Do we understand? That's true. I don't know what to tell you, but that's real. But you have to draw near. You have to draw near to start. You have to draw near to continue. You have to draw near in order to finish. So that we can enter. He promises as we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. It's taken care of. Get over yourself. You can't put things in order. Draw near to Him. And let's serve the living God together. Okay? This is not you serving the living God and me serving the living God. This is us serving the living God. We're the priests now. We're the holy priesthood. We're serving the living God together. What are we? We're the church. We're the house of God. We're the people of God. Okay? In God's house, in, there, in the Holy of Holies, there's a picture of you. There's a picture of me. There's a picture of us. And He's remembering how He saved you. And He's remembering that difficult time. And He's remembering and He's thinking forward to how He's going to bring you to the finish. And what it's going to be like to be there with you. How is that going to feel? How is that going to be when we hear His words, what He says directly to us in His presence? What's that going to be like? Let's serve the living God. And let's go together. Let me pray. Father God, as we sang this morning that you would you would wake us up 
Holy Spirit, that you would move through, it says, the, the, the caverns of our soul, the, the depth of our conscience, the inside, internally in us. God, help us to see the reality of who we are. The reality of what we've done and what we haven't done. The reality of our brokenness and our situation removed from you. We're on our own. We just continue to cover and cover and cover. Continue to manage and manage and manage. God, as we look at the earthly priests and we compare it to you, Jesus, that we would just stand in amazement that you, Jesus, are superior and your service, Jesus, is superior. And the situation that you have given us, this internal connection, this intimate relationship that's available for all of us because you have dealt completely with all of our sin, that that is superior to anything else that we could know. And we wait till that time when we finish to be with you, Father, to be in your presence, to be in the Holy of Holies. Lord, that we would continue to draw near to you. Jesus, that you would bring us, that we would follow you there. And that we would worship you together. The living God. In Jesus' name. Amen.